0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up, Word of Truth? Listen, I'm LaTaris R. Whitfield, the host of the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Are y'all still shacking up with us? Are y'all? Are y'all? That's a real question. I'm tired of asking this question every episode, and I can't hear y'all respond. Listen, pull out your phone and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're on a goal of hitting 500,000 subscribers. We're at 441,000, so I need everybody to do your part. Listen, uh, I'm so excited. When um, matter of fact, I'll jump into that in a little bit. But this season, I partner with an amazing woman, uh, caregiver coach Pat Bailey how many of y'all know that african americans are disproportionately represented in alzheimer's and so what i decided to do was partner with this amazing organization so that we can bring awareness so that we can do research so that we can um do um matter of fact i'm gonna let her tell it Uh, go focus your attention on the cameras and on the video screen
1: word
2: of truth church good morning i got a question for you don't you hate it You actually in one room, you go into another room. When you get to the other room, you don't even know why you're in that room. (laughs) You may need a memory checkup. Hi, I am caregiver coach Pat Bailey, and I'm with the University of North Texas Health Science Center in the first of its kind Alzheimer's research study. There are things that you need to know about Alzheimer's, right? One, we're talking about 6.7 million people. But we're also talking about one in two black families being impacted by that disease. So there's a local research study where you get to have a memory checkup right here in Fort Worth. It's a caring team of experts. It's no drugs. It's an MRI. It is the best in brain health research studies today. So I tell you what we're going to do. You're going to come and meet me in the lobby right after service. That's right. And you're going to be a part of the solution to fight against Alzheimer's. Have that memory check up. I tell you guys, it's really important right now. We all need to be brain health happy. So come register with us in the lobby right after service. And now back to LaTarris R. Whitfield.
0: Yes. So please make sure y'all go visit the tables out in the lobby. I've signed up. I want to go ahead and get my brain scanned to see what's wrong with me. Nice plan. But I want to go check it out and see if I have some underlying issues that I need to be able to be proactive about early on. So make sure you go visit Pat in the lobby. How many single people we have out in this audience? Yeah. How many y'all that were just shouting not so happy about being single? Let me hear y'all. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look at that. What I love about Pastor Evan Connor is that he sees the value in this month where he splits up the services between married people and single people so that we can talk about um, appropriate issues that we all face. And he had the vision to do something different this, uh, this month and allowed us to have professionals on this panel. So we're going to unpack some stuff that all of us are concerned about and we're going to keep it real. We're going to keep it lit on the podcast. We believe in keeping it lit, living intensely and transparently. And so that's what we're going to do. This is the one year anniversary of the Dear Future Wifey podcast on tour. I thank Pastor Evan for that because he had the vision. He had the insight. Y'all saw in the opening video where he prophesied some things over my life, where, um, he even prophesied me, um, selling scripts and, Back in March, I signed a deal with one of the biggest literary agents in the country, Jan Miller, who represents T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen and Sarah Jakes and Stephen Covey uh, as my literary agent. And so uh, we're working on a book deal right now. And so thank you so much, man of God, for being a visionary and even prophesying that over my life. If I talk about them too much, I'm going to get emotional and start crying, so I ain't going to look over there. And at and, and my buddy Sharice over there, as, sitting over there as the first lady up in this bad boy. That's what I'm talking about. Give it up for our first lady and our pastor. Give it up for them, y'all. Give it up for them. Stand up, Cherise. Y'all stand up. I absolutely love them so much, man. Man, I honor them so much. Those are people that actually practice what they preach. And I'm telling you, I had this church hurt, didn't even realize that I had it last year uh, where I wasn't even affiliated with a church. You know, I said, I believe in ministry, but I don't really believe so much in the local church. The, lo- the local church has been such a failure, in my opinion. And so, uh, Pastor Evan just began to just be a brother to me. And as I watched him lead by example, it made me be like, you know what? I want to link up with you. I want to, you know, I want to join forces with you. And so, uh, this is the one-year anniversary of my membership at Word of Truth. So, thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you so much. The Bible says do not forsake the assembly of the saints. And so it's so important for us to join with bodies of believers. It, like we believe in that and so many other things. If those of us that are in fraternities and sororities, we see the value in that. If you're a part of different organizations, you see the value in that. But when it comes to church, we believe we can do this thing solo dolo. And uh, God is asking us to do that thing together and do this work. Because how many of y'all know we need our brothers and sisters to keep us lifted up when we want to throw in the towel? And so what I'm going to do right now, we're going to go around, starting from my right all the way to my left. We're going to introduce ourselves, introduce ourselves, and um, the area of practice that we're in.
3: I'm Ralph Alexander, and I'm 50% of Community of Compassion Ministries, which uh, hosts the Bridge Christian Counseling
1: Center. Good. I am Joris Alexander. I am the wife of this man to my right, and I also... Uh, counsel at the Bridge Christian Counseling Center and um, Community of Compassion Ministries. Good. Good morning. I am...
4: Is it morning afternoon? Yes, it's, it's good. Right. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> I am Brittany Broaddus Smith, founder of The Intimacy Firm. I am a Christian sexologist and I work at the intersection of sexuality
0: and faith. Hold on. We have a sexologist at the <laughs> church? We're going to talk about that today? Yes. All right, all right.
5: Good morning, everyone. My name is Dawu Mabon. I'm a certified public accountant. So I'll be covering finance today.
3: Yes.
6: Good morning, everyone. I am Dr. D'Andra Poe, affectionately known as Dr. D. And I am a therapist, a trauma therapist, and I specifically focus on sexual violence.
0: Good, good, good. So again, uh, pastor Evan handpicked every one of these <laughs> panelists to be on this stage because he believes that there's value that everyone on this panel has that we all need. So we're going to jump right on in there. Let's see where we're going to start. We're going to start right here. We single, we single up in this bad boy. Let's go ahead and talk to the married folks. How many years have y'all been married?
3: We've been married 40 years on the 9th of this September. 40 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the 9th is. of September. Yes. Yes, absolutely.
0: So when you look back on this, and I want you to keep it lit, do you regret? Has there been moments of regret in those 40 years of being married to this amazing woman? No. None.
3: Not one. Not one. I'm not saying that every day was a walk in the park. As a matter of fact, many days it wasn't. But <laughs> we, we, did, we did decide that in the beginning we were going to make this a lifelong commitment.
1: As a matter of fact, at the altar that night, when my father pronounced us husband and wife, he turned to me and he said, 50 years. I just want to throw that out there. Your father married y'all? He did.
0: You need to throw that out there. Your father <laughs> he married y'all. He did. he did. Wow, that's amazing. He did. And so um, how did you celebrate the 40 years of marriage? You, you just i celebrated an anniversary?
3: I, I did celebrate it in a special way for me. I asked my wife to marry me again.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So why was that important, to ask her to marry you again?
3: Well, I thought it was important because the first 40 years were so good, I had to get 40 more. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: right. So, So how did you do that? How did you celebrate
3: well, it, it took me a minute to put it all together. I, you know, I wanted to be intentional. It took me about a year to get everything put together and uh, fin- finally uh, decided on a place that I was going to go. And uh, I had been giving her cards all day. I think she shared that earlier. Uh, so she was kinda in the habit of getting cards that day. And, and when I finally took her to dinner, I told her I was going to go to the men's room and I said, here, while I go, let me give you this card. So I knew she'd have her head down. So I went and I'd already arranged with the uh, uh, the hostess to film the event. And I came back, when I when I came back, I just kneeled down and opened the ring box because I had to get her a new ring. Show sure her the ring, baby. Got another ring? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's what took me the to year. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, and I asked her to marry me and, and she said.
1: And I said yes. There it is. Absolutely. Yes, 100%.
0: Let me ask you this, as a, as a woman, 40 years married to this brother, um what do you see, cause y'all do a lot of counseling, what do y'all see in, cause I believe that the climate has changed in these dating streets. So what do you see that, is on the decline or issues of concern when you see young couples come to y'all?
1: I see the inability to communicate effectively. And um, for my husband and I, we have always from day one communicated. In fact, the first date we went on, we probably spent about eight hours face to face just talking. And we've continued that all through the years, regardless to what happened. And when he said that every day wasn't a walk in the park, it wasn't. But I promise you, I was right there with him, walking in the park beside him, communicating our way through. Amen.
3: Amen. I I think from my perspective, I would say that it is the crossing of boundaries or the lack of boundaries that are clearly defined. Mm -hmm. Unpack that. We got to go there. Now what? Okay. Well, you know, we all have different domestications, different ways in which we were raised. We are the sum total of our life's experiences. So as a result, we develop certain agreements that we make to say, well, this is wrong. When I see that, I'm going to do this. And we don't do that with each other. And then when a person, our significant other, crosses that boundary, we let it slide because we don't want to, open a can of worms, create issues, or anything like that. And And many
1: times they don't even know that it's a boundary because we've not talked about it. Absolutely. We've not talked about the things that we like. The things that we don't like, the things that make us happy, yeah. the things that make us sad, the things that make us feel disrespectful, the yeah. things that make us feel loved. We don't talk about that. We almost assume that the other person will know, but they don't know. We might look good, but we ain't no mind readers. Daddy. Yeah. That's what my husband always says. <laughs>
0: That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, Daewoo, I want to talk to you real quick. On social media, I know a lot of y'all see on these, in these social media streets, we hear all this talk about finances. We hear about women saying that I don't want no man making less than me. I don't want, if I'm making X amount of money, I need a guy that's making what I'm making or more than my brother Tyler Perry. Uh, he was being interviewed on an episode of Crystal Renee and he said that uh, a woman, y'all need to, if you have a good man, then don't worry about so much about the, the, his finances. That if you can find you a good man that's going to be faithful and taking care of you, and you making X amount of money, and all he can pay is the light bill, then be okay with that. See, so look at them. They're like, "I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. So I rebuke that spirit or whatever." Tyler Perry said, "Uh uh uh." You've gotten to your Medea voice. So listen. So the reality, he's "Oh no." There you go. <laughs> So, what do you think about that? What is is your viewpoint
5: of that? So, this is the second time you just—I'm
0: just going to throw you out there. We're going to jump right on out there.
5: (laughs) So, um, you know, actually, so a little bit about myself. Me and my wife—we've been married for 23 years, and the reality is, Amen, praise God. The bulk of that of our marriage, she made more than I did. Uh oh. Uh oh. That's good. Let's talk. So, and and for us, kind of the the groundwork we've always operated under is that, you know, we operate from a position of what the Bible says about money. You know, I, I have the letters behind my name, CPA, but, you know, pretty much I learned in terms of handling money is through God's word. Right. And so pretty much that's kind of the foundation that we've always had. And, and, you know, it was interesting in the previous service, we were talking about, okay, well, should married couples have, you know, joint accounts, separate accounts, and, and a lot of times, just when you're talking about this, okay, the 60, 40, oh, if, if he's paying the, the light bill, here, here's some of the reality is that normally when, when couples get together, when it's, you know, okay, paying bills, um, if you go, okay, well, let's say, let's just say if you have children in the mix, and let's say you for, you're fortunate enough to send them off to private school, and you're going, okay, well, the tuition is $5,000 a year, I'm just throwing these numbers out, and you go to your spouse and say, Okay, well, you come up with twenty five hundred, and I come up with the other twenty five hundred. A lot of times, that burden falls on somebody, and the majority of times, it falls on the wife or or the woman. And so that's why I always operate from you have to operate from the position of okay, I'm a steward, I'm not the owner of it. So it's not about okay, who's bringing in how much. Now, of course, you don't want a deadbeat. Also, you don't want somebody who's just you know taking advantage of you and not trying to have any ambition not trying to to work not trying to have a job so you know and even in that like i said when me and my wife like i said oh, y'all woke up right then but at first when he was when he was talking about his wife out
0: earned him y'all was just like mm, i don't want that testimony then he started talking about David amen thank you Jesus hallelujah Go ahead. So I, I want to go back here. So when your wife was out earning you, does she still out earn you? Yes. All right. So when uh he said yes, proudly. So when your wife was out earning you, or her being the the breadwinner, did that make you feel less than a man? I'll say in the beginning, and then I had to mature and grow up. How long did it take you to mature for the, for her not to feel the burden of? of that because a lot of women i'm gonna say this i'm gonna let you talk but a lot of women feel like okay they've dated guys where they were making more money and then the man who's making less made them feel like their income was a liability where they start saying you know feeling like she is less than in a certain sense or try to make her feel guilty of being the
5: the the, the breadwinner like that so how did you navigate that space and that was, like I said, the maturing process. And it was actually early on in our in our dating. So this is like from from day one. Um, in terms of when you know when she graduated, and I graduated. She was making more than I was, and I, it was more of me understanding my identity. Mm-hmm. In terms of so it was like I couldn't place my identity on what I what I made. Teach now. I want you to stay right there. <laughs>
0: because this is the problem that I have with this, with the culture of making the man's identity be wrapped around finances and so now you have these men that these women are wanting to find as viable husbands and they go I can't find a man out there but you've made him relegated to his finances so he doesn't even believe he, he, he um, is worthy of a wife because he's not making whatever this fictitious amount is and so I want you to unpack that even more about finding value uh, in uh,
5: your identity how did you do that and so it goes back to in terms of one that i'm a firm believer in uh, a few years ago i went through a pro- uh, program called men of joshua and it was talking about how men are supposed to pastor their homes they're supposed to be and and basically you're the you're the head servant so a lot of times when we talk about okay who's the head submission all that we 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 miss things and, and I've, I've learned that as a, as a husband, the reason a lot of times you have issues when a wife isn't submitting is because the first person who's supposed to submit is the man supposed to submit to God. Right. And so I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everything rises and falls on leadership. And so, you know, if you're as a man, if you're not submitting to God, you're showing poor leadership and then basically your spouse is modeling your behavior. That's good. And so, so from that standpoint, I've always operated from, you know, Hey, okay. My role is to make sure that, Hey, I'm praying that I'm casting vision vision into my house, that I'm pouring vision into my house, that I'm praying over our children, you know, making sure that they're grounded in the things of, of God. And so now I'm, I'm a firm believer. A man still got to work. You, you got, you got to go out you got to work. What, whatever it is, if it's Jiffy loop, no knock on Jiffy loop. If that, if that's the best you can do. You you work Jiffy Lube to the best of your ability. You bring that money home. You manage that to the best of your ability. Yeah. And you guys figure You guys communicate and work together on how you're going to make things work from a financial standpoint. That's good.
0: That's good. Yeah. And one last moment, as these women are trying to find valuable husband prospects. Um, <laughs> 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 it's hard out here. So So when you look at that, when you say your wife was making more than you, by what percentage more was she making? When y'all were dating, in the dating phase. Because I don't care, when y'all got married, it's, it's, it's all y'all money at that point. If you, if you get married and you say this is my money and this is my money, y'all, y'all enter this thing in wrong in the first place. But in the dating phase, while they're looking and vetting... What was the difference? Was she making 30% more, 50%
5: more? What'd that look like, old Daewoo? <laughs> basically what you said, she was, I would say at least 40, 50% more.
0: You know. 40, 40, 50% more. So your wife papered up, huh? That's what basically you saying. She, uh, she,
5: she graduated cum laude, has her MBA. I graduated, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you said oh, she graduated
0: cum laude you you graduated thank you laude
3: <laughs>
0: hilarious hilarious but as y'all have merged y'all's finances there's never no issues about this is
5: my money and this is my money right No, because it was always, and even I think we were talking it back from, from my, the one thing I was fortunate of is like from my very first job, uh, I remember, you know, growing up in LA, the very first job I had working at Disneyland, my mom taught me from day one. She said, God was the one who gave you that job. Bring your tithes and offerings, honor him. He's the one who has allowed you to have that money. So I've kind of, we've always operated from that standpoint is that, okay, this is God's money and this is how we're going to operate. So it's not about, okay, who's bringing in more if, because you're, it's always going to be that way. It doesn't matter if, if the roles were reversed and I can't have the ego of, yeah, I'm the one bringing in all the right. money and you got to bow down. It's like, no, it's like you have to have that balance in terms of understanding, okay, this is God's money he's the one instructing us to manage it his way. And so that's kind of where we've been fortunate in terms of operating from from that standard and that's just what has brought us through, you know, all these years. I'm I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm making I'm making a lot more than what I started. Hey, and I'm I'm grateful. Hey, but you got to rate Praise God! That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's more money, Shoot. You know, we we got we have a daughter in college. We got one more about to graduate, and you know, my daughter she's at Howard University. She's a sophomore. <laughs> yeah, praise. Praise God. Praise God for that. But you know, Howard don't take praise. They take cash. <laughs> and so, and the next one who's graduating this coming year, you know, he's graduating 2024. 20, they want cash too. They don't want just praise. And so, I'm I'm grateful. Any, you know, hey, any money she gets, she gets some extra money. Pray, praise God. If I get some extra money, praise God because we, we need every dollar. <laughs> and see, the reason why I want to spend some
0: time on that is because I believe that one of the biggest obstacles in these dating streets is finance. You hear and even if women aren't told about it from the man they're dating you hear it so much with men they when i talk to men and i say hey um if they're in their mid-30s or whatnot why haven't you got married i gotta get my money together i gotta get my money together but back in the day our parents they weren't worried about getting their money together you know what i'm saying they had two little nickels rubbed together and they go get together and make stuff happen and so i believe that there's
5: been a disconnect and as long as we've had the lot of what you about to say you you as my pastor would say, you know, if you if I pass by your house, you ain't got to invite me in. Just wave. You just, when, when you said that right there, because true story, um, you know, the whole thing, income gap. And I was like, okay, well, when am I going to propose? Well, when I when I get my money better, when I get a better job. And I remember it was a friend. I'm like, well, what are you waiting on? <laughs> and so, you know, and I finally have to step up. I propose the better job didn't come. Until and so after, after you better preach.
0: That thing will preach. The Bible says, "He who finds the wife finds a good thing, then obtains favor from the Lord." Amen. So if we understand that that wife is our favor factor, you'll be getting on your knees saying, "Will you marry me?" A whole lot sooner, because the reality of it all is because. Let me let me leave because I'm finna. (laughs) Hey. Because I talk to men all the time, and and they'll say, "I got this good woman," but I'm just trying to get, and I'm just trying to get. But then you get a good woman. She becomes a multiplier in your life. She comes alongside of you and she has this vision and insight to where she's able to say, hey, I see some gaps in what you're trying to do. Let me help you. The Bible says that I will give you a suitable helper. That's what what God said. Letters didn't say that. David did not say that. God said, I'll give you a suitable helper. And, And when I looked at that, I was like, God, that don't even make sense. Why would you give Adam a suitable helper after he's completed the task that you set before him? You told him to name all the animals. And then you say, after he's done it all, it's not good for man to live alone. I'm going to give him a suitable helper. That's because he completed his single season and God had more in store for him that he needed a suitable helper in order to take him to where he.
6: Speak the word.
0: Speak the word. Say it.
6: He do not even Dr. remember Poe, my name. He can't even say my name. Dr. Poe, we're
0: going to go over here. We're going to jump over here to you. Your area of practice is in trauma and grief. A lot of single people are dealing with a lot of trauma, a lot of grief coming from their childhood experiences. Experiencing a lot of trauma even in their dating experiences yeah. that has a tendency to uh, immobilize them when they're doing relationships. And so as you've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of men, what are some of the things that you that come across your couch that you have to unpack with them to bring healing, to make them better as individuals before they even take vows as a husband and wife?
6: So the first thing I have to say is really getting them to define what a healthy relationship looks like. Hmm. A lot of people don't even know what healthy looks like because of where they come from. And so getting them that to define that, I need to know what it's like when we get into an argument. Are you the type of person that yells? I don't respond to yelling. You know, uh, finding out, you know, do they touch you when I got to talk to you? Like, come over here and grab me, you know. We got to talk about that stuff, like, you know. So first, defining what a healthy relationship looks like. Someone who's been traumatized, I say this, you are dating her past. You're dating his past. Yeah. And that comes along with that trauma. So what does that look like for you? And again, having those conversations around consent and open communication. When you touch me, this is where I go. For some women who have been traumatized sexually, and then they're now going to be intimate with someone, the way you touch me reminds me of how my uncle touched me. Right. So now I'm completely shut down. I can't be intimate with you that way because he was. And so, what I'm, and when I see this in my practice, I have to go back to them and help them reprocess that trauma, in order for them to be present with their current partner or the person that they want to be their partner.
0: And so, a lot of times, people don't even know the trauma that exists until a trigger occurs. Um, I've spoken to people where they've been doing life the best way they've known how, and then. They're 35 years old and they're dating somebody and then all their childhood experiences begin to flush back into their remembrance. And so at what point, especially if they're dating someone, how do, let's say, we'll say if a male is dating a woman, how does he navigate that space with her while she's going through some of the roughest moments in her life now at 35 years old and she hasn't even dealt with that trauma before?
6: Well, if, if he's decided that he's going to be in a relationship with her, he's made that commitment to her. So, um, as I said previously, if she's not getting help, encourage her to get help. Go to therapy with her because she's not, she might not be able to tell you without the help of someone to say, when you touch me like this, this is where I go. Or don't touch me there because I don't like it. Or even... This is what I do like, and this is how I get there. So for someone who's going to commit to being in a relationship with someone who's been violated in such a horrible way, be present and then create that safe space for her to be able to navigate that however long it takes because it ebbs and flows. And there may be times when she's like, okay, I'm going to try this. And then she changes her mind or she gets in it and I can't. But you've got to have patience. Whoo, I don't like that word. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You've got to have patience. You really have to be able to get on your knees and say that I'm committed to doing this no matter what it looks like and how it shows up. Because it may not show up the same. It may not show up the way that you want to. You know, she comes into the saying, okay, I'm going to try to be intimate with you in a way that you like. And she might try it, but then gets into an I can't.
0: Well, well, you can't talk about intimacy uh, with these single folks because uh, Pastor Evan had everybody take a vow of abstinence. So, uh, so they, sorry, they erase be, that. They, yeah, you can't be you can't Cut be encouraging that like that, Doctor Poe. Okay, you yeah. got to say that yeah. it may be a handshake, or a, a hand hug. Shake. It may be right. a trigger because they're not touching on each if other at in, word of truth.
6: Correct. Not, if he comes know. in for a hug, do the yeah. side yeah. hug.
0: Yeah, a little side do hug. Side that hug. may be a trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe a trigger. A look. Yeah, a look.
6: Don't right. look at me like that. It
0: could be a trigger, but they're not touching each other at word of truth. No. They don't they don't, they don't rub on people's body parts or word of truth.
6: Amen. So listen.
0: So um Brittany.
6: Yes.
0: Sexologist. Yes. Sexologist. All right. <laughs> so as a sexologist how do you help people navigate? Now we're talking about single people. And you find a lot of single issues. Matter of fact, it's a good one. You and I talked about this before. You talked about a lot of people who have taken vows of abstinence. They get married. And what have you seen happen?
4: They still feel like it's wrong.
0: Because they've. in order for
4: them to abstain, they had to... Um, speak negatively or believe negatively about sex to make it avoidable. They could not hold it in its honorable and gifted place from as a gift from a good guy because then they would make them want it more. So in order for me to abstain, I got to make it, be, make it undesirable. So then they maintain that thought about sex when they get into their marriage and now they can't turn their brain off. If folks even still in the year of our Lord 2023 are still praying for God to take the desire away as opposed to asking for
0: the strength to be able to steward the desire well. That's good. Hold on. That's good. How many y'all, be honest, how many y'all have been praying for God to take the desire away from you to have sex? It's testimony time. Y'all ain't gonna gonna admit that. Uh, I see a couple of hands right there. There's a hand. There's a hand. There's a hand back in the back. There's a hand back right there in the back. It's like I'm doing off the call. There's a hand. There's a hand. There's a hand. I see I see you back there. I see you back there. I see you back there. And that's what happens. We've been, we've, we've gotten this unhealthy instruction about sex to where we say, my body wants to have sex. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And you're rebuking natural desires that the Lord, our God put inside of us. Whether you want it or not, you have a biological clock. You can rebuke it. You can do whatever you want to. Whether you wanted to rebuke puberty, uh, from coming to your body, it was going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, what happens in the church, and I'm glad you pointed that out, is that we've been taught this erroneous teaching that is like, "Oh, if you feel like this, you're gonna to go to hell." Yeah. So now you're over here saying, "I don't, I don't want to feel like this. I must be unworthy, and and and, and I just got to finish having a worship moment with God, and now I want to have sex. And what's wrong with me? Am I, you know, am I unhealthy with these thoughts or whatnot? Um, what do you say? How do people navigate that space? Well, the first thing is
4: we need to understand the difference between that. You know, bodies doing what bodies do, that natural desire and lust. That's the thing that needs to be rebuked. That's the thing that we need to address in the spirit is the lust. That's the part that's not natural. That's the part that scripture speaks against. Spirit, scripture doesn't speak against arousal, right? When God gave us the clitoris and the frenulum and erogenous zones and dopamine and all, and orgasm and all of those things, he gave us horniness. It's Right. I mean we don't went there she said no.
0: clitoris <laughs> she done, done, done clitoris and I want see
4: a lot of times go ahead we going to go back right, to that but lust <laughs> but lust is the perversion lust is the thing that takes what God called natural and um, distorts it contorts it manipulates it when you are lusting after someone you are taking them into your mind without their permission putting them in spaces and places and positions that they never asked to be in that is where the enemy dwells. Where he's giving you—you you are acting as God. You are thinking that you have authority over those people, over children of God. That's what we need to rebuke in the spirit, so that we can able to decipher what is God given and what is um, enemy motivated.
0: Enemy motivated. Wow. Well, we here now. <laughs> So you said that a lot of times people, you find people uh, that you're coaching, couples, that you find when you reverse engineer that thing before they got married, it was things that they didn't even, women just didn't even know their bodies. Yeah. And so they're trying to have these sexual experiences, but not even knowing their own body. Do, do you have your, do you have your, I you need, you you I need. I need to. It's in the room. Yeah, I need somebody go get. I need somebody go get but right, that. She room. right on the couch. She on the couch. Yeah, we but, got illustrated sermon today. So
4: when, when she come up, but to that point, yes, they don't know their own body, and that is more not even just a church thing. It's not even an indictment on the church. Societally, America doesn't do sex ed well. Culturally, we don't do sex ed well, right? Because the thought is that if we're teaching about sex, that we are promoting sex and encouraging um, sexual behavior. But statistics show folks who have. <laughs> Folks who have access to comprehensive sex ed are more likely to delay sexual initiation. Say hi, Veronica. <laughs> she say hi?
0: And so as you teach. Hey, y'all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm too far. I'm sorry. No, don't lay it right there. Oh, sorry. Okay. Lay- <laughs>
4: Why I want to
0: keep right here. <laughs> So as you begin to teach about that, yeah. what are some, what, 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 use that as an example, what are yeah. some things that you can teach single women yeah. now about their own body parts because mama, see that's another thing about it. I, I don't recall, and maybe y'all have a different testimony, that y'all parents teach y'all about y'all body parts besides <laughs> calling it the birds and the bees. Right. I've been looking for the bee ever since. Oh, right. get, Honestly,
6: you know, we'll we've do. been taught,
0: we just haven't been taught right. And then yeah. they call it other names like purse and and pocketbook and and daffodils and flowers i was going crazy stuff you like what you know you don't even know the name of it and she and i was talking about that where we talk about the word penis or the word vagina that sounds like a cuss word and stuff (laughs) but you say you we've been so brainwashed the unhealthy street names for it that that sounds better than saying vagina yeah and so let's unpack this
4: Yeah, so it is the, again, miseducation, misinformation, and really is rooted in fear and shame, right? We'll say head, shoulders, knees, and toes, pocketbook, as opposed to vulva, right? There's women that I coach that are 30, 40, 50 years old that have never heard the term vulva. I'm certain there's people in this room that this is your first time hearing the word vulva. And so you said vagina. How many of y'all heard that term? Uh,
0: Good. Now take your hand. How many of y'all haven't? Raise your hand. Yeah
4: so vulva is the is the medically accurate term for the external genitalia, and that is important for single um, for single women to know or single people to know because event, number one for health reasons, right? You have you should be going to the gynecologist. There are women who don't get Pap smears because they feel like they're not having sex, but when you begin to build that education, that's where empowerment and confidence comes from. So that when you get married, you're not giving your sexual pleasure the responsibility over to your partner because we're taught that men are the anchor for all things sex and women come in they feel like they don't need to know and whatever they need to know whatever they need to have their husband will give them and then husbands feel the pressure of having to navigate all of this but ultimately your orgasm is your responsibility and you give the information to them and a good partner applies the information that you give them and so you don't have to sin to figure that information out so we're talking about basic things like pressure and touch and things like that when you go to the, get a pedicure do you want her to make the water hotter or colder you know what kind of sensation you deal with when you get a massage are you light medium or you are you bold enough to do a deep tissue now you know what kind of touch you like all of those things are transferable skills but even down to basic things if you go to a restaurant and your meal is wrong and you don't have the confidence to say yeah i don't like this you're not going to have the confidence in the bedroom to say i don't like
0: this that's good
4: and we have been women particularly have been conditioned to give to just take what's been given to us and singleness in the kingdom nowadays we lost the stamina to hold on for what's available uh, what's possible and we just take what's available
0: Is this blessing y'all as much as it's blessing me? When I say I thank God for Pastor Eben because we—I talked about bringing that out, and the first thing he said, "You should have brought it out. You should have brought it out." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, yeah, I just kind of felt no, you should have brought it out." But the reality is, he's so transformational where he wants to talk about stuff that people are afraid to talk about. If we can, if we can correct things on a single level as as singles, we can fix a married problem.
3: Absolutely
0: we can fix it and so that's what I want to curate on the Dear Future Wifey podcast is discussions like this, this these tough topics that we we shy away from and then we get married and now your your spouse isn't being pleased you not being pleased y'all having sex is a chore y'all hate it then if something that you hate you're not going to do a lot and so now y'all are sexually depriving each other opens the door for infidelity now y'all got to go to therapy for infidelity and the fact that y'all need a sexologist you know what i'm saying and so now it's just unpacking all this stuff and then there's so many issues that if we resolve it as singles we can do marriage a whole lot better when we talk about this listen when when these people show up on your couch and y'all and what are some of the other issues that come from a single standpoint because y'all y'all counsel y'all counsel single people as well we do what are some issues that y'all find
3: Well, it it still gets back to communication Mm -hmm. and how each person communicates or reaches the other person. Mm -hmm. Their domestication or the way that they have been raised and the things that they've come to believe have, in a way, put them in a box. So they're not open to, initially, open to hearing what another person has to say, which leads to, conflict you don't do it this way or uh, this is not the way that i learned it however once they begin to open their mind to the thought that we don't have to do things like mom and dad did that's good their way may have worked for them but this is us
1: or it, may not have worked but yeah. you just don't know it
3: right? yeah. see that's
0: good see that's a good stuff may not have worked but you don't know it you've seen them be married for 30 years but they're not happy You know, and some of them, and I've seen, and I've asked people this. They've been married for 30 years and get a divorce. I'm like, why get a divorce now? But they're saying, I've suffered for 30 years, and I don't want to suffer for 30 more. Just like they said that they want to do 40 more years together. There's a lot of people that has been married 40 years that say, I can't take another year. I want a divorce. I can't do it. But you've watched them stay married, but they weren't happily married. You saw them surviving, but they weren't thriving and so that's what we want our healthier relationships um how many of y'all got a chance to that y'all text in some of the questions we're going to transition to some of the questions that people text here it is i have a little to no sex drive due to polycystic ovary syndrome it causes me to avoid dating with fear that it will end the relationship when it is appropriate to express this to a man i am dating seriously who want to jump in on that
4: um, so the to so the last part, when it's appropriate, but for the first part, I want to speak into PCOS is not the end of your story. Okay. There are treatments, there are mindset and a lot of the little to no sex drive piece is a, a mindset thing. There's fear of like pain and all the other things that add to it. And there are ways around it. So there that sometimes feels like a relational death sentence and it does not have to be so i definitely want to speak to that piece first but as far as when it's appropriate to express to a man you're dating seriously it depends on when you have gotten to the place where y'all are speaking about relationship trajectory so because dating seriously only can sometimes mean regularly that doesn't mean we're going anywhere. And so we're having conversations about a future, yeah. and at that point when we begin to speak about sexual expectations, then that's when we begin to have that conversation about that or any other issue, desire, or hardline boundary that would impact the sexual experience. You lay it down, but not in a way, and not from a place of fear like, hey, can you take me with all of this? Here's what it's happening, here's what I'll need, and then you begin to discuss what that would look like in the navigation of it, but never approach it from a place of can you handle this? Because you're not to be handled. You are Teach. Okay. You are Teach. you are as you are. That's not any, they're not doing you a favor by being with you because you have
0: PCO. That's good. That is so good. That frees somebody right there. Yeah. That is good. Next question, please. Is that the only question? I know not. All right. But while we wait for the next question to be queued up, um, what are some of the issues that you, we talked about
5: tithing. How important is tithing, Daewoo? Okay, so for me, pretty much it's a non-negotiable. And the reason why is that, you know, I shared earlier from my very first job, my my mom taught me, okay, you know, you tithe, you honor God. And and if we want to be transparent, most people say, okay, you know what, I, I have more month than money. So, yeah. so how am I going to tithe? How am I going to bring my tithe? And, and I don't even have enough to pay my bills. And, and, and I lived that and when I you know, first graduated from college. You know, I'm, I'm struggling to make ends meet, but I still was bringing my tithe because the one thing I, I learned in terms of, you know, reading God's word, in terms of handling money, you know, I, I love uh, Acts. It talks about, you know, when it, when it talks about in Pentecost, how after Pentecost, it talks about how the believers formed a community. It talks about how they looked out for one another and, you know, no one was lacking, you know, those who were in need. The, the, the body of believers looked out for one another. And that's what happened to me when I was in that situation. Okay, I'm, I'm bringing my tithe. Okay, how am I going to make ends meet? You know, how am I going to have a roof over my head? And it was the body of believers who were, who I was surrounded around that helped me look, look out for me. And that goes back to, you know, as the Alexanders was talking about in terms of that being transparent, being open and, and not being ashamed to, to talk about where you're at from a financial, financial position. But like I said, the most important thing is that I was surrounded by a body of believers who helped me navigate through that time. And, and even when I was bringing my tithes and offerings, I've never, as scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. and I've never seen them begging for bread for real. And that's real. How many of y'all are caretakers in the audience? Anybody are caretakers
0: taking care of? A, there's a lot of y'all. A, you're a caretaker? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> This is a question that someone asked. I am caring for my mom who has Alzheimer's and I'm single. Coupling that with these dating streets is heartbreaking. What advice or encouragement can you provide? I know God's timing is perfect. I know to wait on the Lord, but it's tough. And I'm tired. Mm. Tired is what she said. Who want to tackle that? Uh, and that's definitely... Definitely go visit the table to talk to Pat because Pat is an expert in that of how to get resources to lighten the burden so that you don't have to carry the burden all by yourself. uh, And I'll let her talk even more about that. But can y'all weigh in on that?
3: Uh, Just a uh, just a thought. Yeah. And what what came to me was the word of God. Mm -hmm. And it says, let patience have her perfect work Mm -hmm. so that you can be complete and lacking lacking nothing. I understand it. I don't know what your age range or group is, so I can't really speak to that. But I know that God knows all things. He knows the number of the hairs that we have on our head. I mean, literally, Mm -hmm. the number. So nothing catches him by surprise. But if you're faithful Mm -hmm in what he has tasked you to do, he will open a door at the appropriate time. That may not be a consolation, but I found that to be truth in life.
0: Good, yes. good. You going to weigh in on that?
6: I am. And what I, I want to go to the word as, as well in terms of honoring thy mother and thy father. Mm-hmm. For me, as a caretaker of my father, I find it honorable that I'm able to serve him and help him, my father covers me. I got a daddy's dad. And so I don't find it to be a burden to have to care for him, I'm tired too. And I don't know if that's a man or a woman, but I hear you, I get it. And you wanna have your own life, but I find it honorable to be able to serve my father in his last days. He has more days behind him than he has ahead of him because we don't know the day or the hour I honor him in my service to him. And I would just encourage that person that anyone who's ready to date you will know that what you're doing is honorable.
0: That's good. Amen. So, someone else wants to uh, this question is for Dr. D. He said, how do you move on in a healthy manner when you have been in a marriage that has been more of a trauma bond than a relationship from God?
6: Ooh, trauma bonds. Uh, trauma bonds are hard to break. Um, I mean, when you talk about being intentional, having to break a trauma bond is work. And every single client that has ever showed up in front of me, I let them know this is work. Like I'm going to, you are going to have to do things intentionally to break that trauma bond. And that means setting boundaries that are extremely rigid. Mm-hmm. Boundaries are yours to communicate. And the consequences are the person who crosses those. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that when you set a boundary with someone, when they cross that boundary, you have every right to communicate to them. You have crossed my boundary. Here are the consequences for doing so. Mm -hmm. I would say to this person, encourage them really to get and seek a professional about breaking trauma bonds because that's that's not something you can YouTube or TikTok. It's just not. Mm -hmm. You really need someone to walk you through what that looks like why you have this trauma bond because if there's abuse physical sexual or spiritual you're going to have to do some work
0: good i've been watching this tv show called love is blind (laughs) (laughs) how much does physical appearance play a factor in your marriage commitment I mean, can I? Come on, jump on in there. I,
4: I mean, we jump, we don't put the cart before the horse with marriage commitment. Yeah, cause you right? gotta get there first. You have to get, get there first. And yeah. here's the thing, well, a lot of us like to, you know, we've wrapped our heads around we gotta be friends first stage and things like that, but when you meet somebody randomly in a coffee shop or the church, that's not your friendship that drew you to them. Right. It wasn't the friendship <laughs> that asked right. you for their number. You like the way they looked. <laughs> right? And it is okay to want to like the way they look. We see it in scripture all the time. Jacob wanted Rachel, not Leah, <laughs> Right? And you don't want to have to be manipulated or have somebody have to, you know, cloak you in brags <laughs> to, to get somebody to marry you. Right? So it is okay to have that discernible palate to say, I like and I am attracted to this person. Now, the wisdom says attraction enough isn't going to sustain you once we get to the marital commitment part, because when age, when looks and beauty, you know, sc- fade, sure. fade, what are you going to have to hold you there? But too many of us are in relationships with people that we don't like or don't like looking at, just for the sake of saying that we have somebody. How many y'all in relationships?
0: Nice Playing. <laughs> <laughs> But what happens, though, when you, uh, when you watch the, the show Love is Blind, you find people, uh, and they intensely have people form connections with people by personality and alignment. Then when they see each other, then sometimes, like, first, well, the first season, it was more authentic. Well, you meet somebody, and you'll find that, okay, I'm not really attracted to them, but let's go over that hurdle and try to find why Love we connect. Love is
4: Blind is... Relationship pornography is no is no more real than Iron Man, and that is really <laughs> shows like Love is Blind, pornography, all of those things kind of in, in navigates or motivates us to connect to fantasy and that which is not real. And it's a, out of desperation and, again, also out of lust because we are lusting after. We want the ability to manipulate things. And love is blind and producers manipulate that. Pornography manipulates pleasure in a way that convinces you that you have control over, soul control over the person. You want full autonomy in your humanity, but you want a robot to be and do whatever you want it to be. Teach. And that's why we're disappointed because we don't get what we need. And that's why... I, Porn is never satisfied and that's why our sex lives are suffering once we get married because we're trying to create a fantasy. Just like you can't jump off that bridge like Iron Man, you can't do, you don't have a fluffer on the side of the states or a or director saying cut to, to do it over again like on reality TV. We, we're... That's good. Hollywood has ruined us.
0: That's good. That's good. Last question. As a widow, how do I broach the topic of my husband's death? with a potential partner I don't want them to think I will compare them to another man I also don't want them to feel sorry for me signed ready for love
3: it starts with transparency and then being honest enough to share with your partner first of all I just want to say you deserve to go on with life and to enjoy the things that God has for you You've been an honorable woman and you have honored your husband in life and maybe in sickness, but but also in death. And it's time to move on. But you, you, you've got to be transparent or you've got to be sure of yourself in that you don't think that you have to conceal something to a potential partner mm. to go forward. If you've got to do that and if you feel that, you, you need to move on. Mm. But setting some boundaries, being transparent, getting the feel of who they are and what their responses are to you. That will give you, is this a lady? Uh, I don't know if it's a lady, but I was just gonna say the number one desire for a woman is safety and security. And I think you can get that through a conversation with an individual uh, potential suitor, if you will, if he's pursuing you and you're not pursuing him, he's pursuing you. (laughs) Uh, so you will be able to to feel that that empathy that compassion and that safety in him and and as you do just share with him what your thoughts and your feelings are and i believe that if if he's what god sent to you uh then he'll accept that and good. move forward and good, enjoy good. your life
0: good thought that was gonna be a last question here's another one because this is real good as a single parent how many of y'all are single parents single parents As a single parent, how do you not only prepare yourself for marriage, but how do you prepare your children for your future marriage? And how do you teach them to respect their future stepdad? Oh
3: boy, we're going over now.
0: And that was good. So thank y'all media team for putting that up there. Who want to unpack that? We can go all around the circle. I want to hear you. I'll I'll start by just saying. Put it close to your mouth. I'll start
1: by saying uh, one of the things that I think we as adults and as parents remarrying, we don't consider how long it takes for our children to embrace a father coming in or a mother coming in because we embrace them. We love them. We feel that they would be great for the family, and they've expressed to us that they would be great for the family, and they would embrace the children. Sometimes it takes children longer. So I think it's just taking the time with the children, being patient. There's that P word again. (laughs) Being patient with them and letting them know that this person is coming into the home, coming into their lives, and it is important to respect. And because the Bible says that we are to honor our mother and our father. So when we teach those principles, they do, they should honor and coming from the mom sharing with the children, you want them to honor this person that's coming in because they're not going to be harmful. It's, we're coming in and we will be a blended family. And many times it's difficult, but it's doable.
0: Good. I'm about to close the podcast out. I'm not, I'm going to do a prayer. It's not going to close out the, the service. I'm going to let, uh, Pastor Evan to do that. He's about to come on stage. Uh, but did y'all enjoy this? Did y'all enjoy this? Thank y'all so much. Listen, um, Heavenly Father, we come to your today. We thank you for the opportunity to just serve you. God, our hearts are good soil. God, we ask that you continue to plant the seeds in our heart for us to become everything that you desire for us to be. Lord, we pray right now as singles that we do not grow weary in our well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So God, allow us to live our lives honorable to you. God, we consecrate our hearts. We consecrate our minds. We offer ourselves up as holy sacrifices, pleasing to you, God. Continue to give us discernment to navigate those that be before us and those that be against us. We thank you. We glorify you. We honor you. Give us patience. Give us patience, God. In Jesus' name we pray.
7: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, y'all. Give it up for LaTerrence Whitfield, the Dear Future Wifey podcast, and all of our panelists. Didn't they do an amazing job? Yes. Thank you all so much. And we're going to bless them. So. Thank you for staying to the end because we're we're about to do a drawing for you all to win some money. So before you before you do that, a, a thought dropped in, in into me, and I believe it's a big issue when it comes to single people because if I want to see you get married, I believe God wants to see you get married. But here's a struggle: if you regularly, everybody say regularly. If you regularly, when you meet people or you're dating people, if the regular thought is, you know, are they do they like me? Uh, if, if If that's a thought, will they accept me? If that's a regular thought, you're not ready to get married. Here is why. Because you only have those thoughts because that's what you think about you. So how can I expect someone to accept me and I haven't accepted me? And so what single people do, they find somebody who accepts them more than they accept themselves. Not realizing that they are marrying as they they are the liability. And now that person has to keep pumping a tire that has a hole in it. And they drain the life out of the person. So I want to encourage you, discover who you are in the Lord. So well I, I know the Bible, that's the problem. You know the Bible, but you don't know who you are. Okay, alright, here we go.